Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you here for this new The Corner International episode. Um, very happy to have you listen in one more time and very happy to welcome Daniel Kirshner today. Daniel. Good to be nice here. Nice to see you here. Good to see you. How are you? I am doing well. And Terrific. Perfect. Pretty good. Pretty good. Another busy day. Um, so, yeah, very happy to have you here. Um, Can you give a quick introduction of yourself, your personal and professional background for anybody who wouldn't know you out here? Yeah, so I'm Daniel Kirshner. I am based in Santa Monica, California. I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, a company called Greenfly, uh, which I've been running for the past, uh, coming up on seven years, which is pretty amazing. Um, before that, I, I had sort of a, a pretty varied professional career. I, I started out in technology, then I was a, a lawyer for a while including in the um, Obama Justice Department. And um, I uh, ran internet policy at the Federal Communications Commission. And then after that, I was the head of corporate affairs at Activision Blizzard, which is what actually moved me out to Santa Monica originally, um, the video game company, uh, mm -hmm. famous for uh, everything from Call of Duty to World of Warcraft to Overwatch. Um, and uh, I actually uh, left that to found uh, Greenfly with uh, Sean Green, who is uh, – my uh, first cousin, a friend since childhood, and, and he'd already actually started working on this project. And then they came over and joined him and we've been building it together. And so what made you go from a legal career, which is obviously very promising, and then being in the gaming industry, which is another industry with high potential, what made you take the risk of going on the other side of things and, and become an entrepreneur? It's a really good question. I mean, I think there are uh, sort of a mix of, of, you know, personal and professional factors. For me, uh, As I mentioned, I started out in technology, then I got into law. You know, I had a very successful, interesting legal career, and um, I had the corporate affairs job at Activision Blizzard, which was also a, a really fun and exciting role working directly for the CEO uh, over there, Bobby Kotick. But I felt like even as I was, um, my career was progressing and I was involved in more and more interesting projects, I still felt I was always kind of the advisor. I was the you know, the kind of conciliary or the, you know, or, or the, you know, the, the lawyer, uh, it's a, it's a very particular kind of role, which a lot of people really love. And I, and I did enjoy it, but I really love the idea of operating something, of building a company, of owning a PNL. Uh, and, and I was thinking about that already in my career. I was actually already thinking about, you know, uh, shifting my role at Activision Blizzard and, and having various conversations and, and Sean had started working on this project and, and was talking to me about it. And I saw this would be a really fun and exciting idea to come in and just to own, completely own success and failure, you know, and really yeah. and really uh, be able to, to, to make my own decisions, be able to really operate an organization. Um, so that was very exciting for me. And so at the time, you know, obviously it, 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 it was it was risky in many ways. But at the time I figured, look, you know what, hopefully this works out. I think it's a great idea. I'm really excited about it. If it doesn't, I could always you know, go be a lawyer again or, or, or go back to, you know, to, to, to one of those other roles. But um, I, I really thought um, I really wanted to, to give it a shot and see if, if, uh, if I could do it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about owning successes and, de- and defeats. And obviously being an entrepreneur also comes with losses every once in a while. But uh, but I guess you're in a pretty good path right now with Greenfly. And uh, we're happy, obviously, to be supporting you as a source on that topic. Um, and just in general, looking at your background, do you, how how useful were your studies and your legal background in the process of creating a startup? Like, are there a lot of key takeaways? Because we know that there is kind of that thing, that debate right now around studies and then being an entrepreneur and what do you learn from where? What's your what's your opinion on that? It's a it's a very good question. So I think there are other lawyers who are successful entrepreneurs, and I, you know, and I know some of them. Um, but I, I think it's actually a very it's very different temperament. It tends to be a very different t- temperament. I think lawyers tend to be risk averse. Not all lawyers. Uh, and entrepreneurs tend to be risk loving, you know, not not necessarily all entrepreneurs, but um, I, it's a very different mindset uh, for me. Uh, I, that's one of the things that really excited me about it was was to really you know be, be taking those risks, taking those chances and not always spending my time as a lawyer. You're often really spending your time identifying risks. Uh, and and, uh, you know, uh, so, I, so I thought that I thought that 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 was exciting to me. Certainly my legal background informed my career a lot. Certainly legal issues are very important in a business like ours. Uh, you know, our clients deal with rights issues. There are clearance issues. There are, you know, risk issues. There are privacy issues. I mean, legal issues impact yeah. and affect uh, technology companies like ours very much. Uh, so I, I, there's definitely a lot of, of value in, in, in having that background. But I think there's also a need to kind of push against some of those earlier, more more risk averse instincts. I, I did have that transitional period where, you know, I was, I was working, at, you know, at Activision Blizzard in that corporate affairs role and thinking a lot, you know, there was some legal component to that role, but I was working for the CEO as part of the business organization. I was not part of the legal group over there. And so that, that was already for me, you know, really starting to, to understand the differences between operating a business and, 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 uh, you know, evaluating risk as a lawyer. So uh, I'd already started to make that transition, but definitely, uh, you know, this, yeah, this push but you level. were kind of taught to be to be cautious about everything, and you went in the complete opposite direction, being an entrepreneur, <laughs> and, and and raise funds, and yeah, yeah that's a <laughs> that's a paradoxical. Um, and uh, and so you're mentioning you mentioned what you like be, about being a CEO and taking your own risk and, and taking your own shots, and you know, be, being empowered whenever the success. What do you dislike about the role the, the other way around? That's a good question. I I really enjoy almost everything about the role, even even the things that it sounds funny to say this, but I even enjoy the things I don't enjoy. Like there's definitely a lot of pressures, and you feel a sense of responsibility to. I feel a sense of tremendous responsibility to my employees. It's not just about my own success. It's it's all of it's everybody's success together. And you know, obviously, you know, my employees all feel a sense of responsibility as well. Uh, but you know, I I, I definitely. You know, I definitely feel 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 the you know the weight of that, and 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 understand the decisions I make are going to impact you know the lives of people of my colleagues, you know, significantly. But uh, that's something I also really I really appreciate having the opportunity to make those decisions and to and to think about those things. So there's not much I don't like about it. I mean, certainly I I like operating the business and and doing deals and building the vision more than I do fundraising. For example, like that's something that, 
you know, <laughs> it's very important for uh, a tech entrepreneur. Really love it out there. Yeah. <laughs> and some people like that's what they're good at. They can raise a lot of money, yeah. but they can't run a business. <laughs> I, you know, uh, and other people, you know, it, it might be the opposite. For for me, uh, you know, it's not. It's something that's very important, and there are parts of it that I enjoy. I do love presenting the company. I really appreciate our investors, and they really become partners and and sounding boards, and and you know, they're just a wonderful part of the organization. But going out there. You know, pitching the business in that way and and raising money is is not is definitely not my favorite part of the job. Isn't there a strategic aspect of things of how you're positioning it, how you're presenting the growth? Like, what do you especially dislike about it? Because there's kind of a way of that's kind of bringing all the elements of the company also together. And I've never done it, so I'm not you know I'm I haven't been in this situation, and I know that a lot of entrepreneurs dislike it. But it sounded to me like there could be it could be that moment where you're pitching to intelligent people who will have a rational of how they position their money and their potential return on investment. And that's kind of putting together your whole strategy, positioning your strategy in the global market. So there's kind of like putting all those elements together. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And that's the part of it that I really do like. And also, I think that is very valuable. You have to tell a story and the story has to be true. And, 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 and thinking about that story, like what, uh, what is the true compelling story about your company is also a way of clarifying a lot of your strategic thinking about the company. I've always been a writer. I've always, you know, that's always been a big part of, of what I've, what I've done. I studied English literature in college and things like that. And I was always somebody who I always clarified my thinking through writing. You know, I, I, I was the kind of person that put a lot down on paper and then just revise, revise, revise and refine. And, and I found that that was, a way of really organizing my thoughts and clarifying my thoughts. So there's definitely an element of that. When you put together a, pe a presentation, a pitch around the business, you're clarifying your thoughts, you're telling your story, and that does impact your your strategic vision and can be very, very clarifying and very exciting. So I, I, I like that. And I do like, as I said, you know, that electric connection you have when, when you really convey the vision and, and the people you're talking to really appreciate it and get excited with you and, and get involved and, 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 you know, write a check and, and become part of your company. And, and yeah. I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing, but at, at the same time, you know, the, the part that I don't like is, you know, we're, you know, we're often in a situation where, you know, we're very busy. We have a lot of opportunities as a business. There's a lot of things that we'd like to, that, 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 uh, you know, demand my attention that are really significant opportunities. And so sometimes having to step away from that and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and focus on the fundraising piece, you know, it, it, you would sort of have a little bit less control over how you're balancing, you know, your resources and, yeah. and how you're balancing your, your, your time and attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. And, and just taking an, another step back, what, according to you makes a great entrepreneur and what are the skills you enjoy in other entrepreneurs that you try to adapt to yourself to? That's a good question. I mean, sort of the, I think the most important thing, and definitely not the first person to say this, I think it's probably the prevailing wisdom at this point, but the most important thing is to hire the right people and build the right team. I mean, nothing else matters if you don't put together the right group of people and having the right group of people can solve almost any problem. Even if you've made a fundamental strategic mistake in your business, you can correct it with the right group of people. Um, whereas you're going to continue to make those mistakes with the wrong group of people. So I, I think there's nothing more important. I think the most important job of an entrepreneur is, is hiring. I don't mean that in, you know, just the kind of, you know, going out and hiring people. I mean, when you're hiring people, you're also selling the vision, you're selling the company, you're convincing people to come on board. And as an entrepreneur, 
you're you're often doing that in a context where people are stepping away from much more secure environments, much more directly lucrative environments, you know, and and taking a chance with you. And so it's very important to be able to to really convey that vision, get people excited, bring them on board, find the right people, build the right community, build the right culture. I think that's the most important thing um, as an entrepreneur. I think the other thing um, that's really important is just really listening to and responding to the market, to what people are telling you, to how people are interacting with your platform, having like a mix of almost delusional confidence in the value of what you're building while at the same time being willing to adjust based on feedback that you're getting and, you know, and, and not, and not insisting that, that, you know, the vision that you cooked up, you know, when you were building it in a, in a, in a dark room somewhere is, is necessarily, you know, going to be hundred percent accurate. So I think you got to kind of balance those two, those two factors really well. You've got to really believe in what you're doing and the value of what you're doing, but you also have to be willing to listen to people when they, when they, uh, when they have feedback on, on, uh, on what their needs are. Yeah, show the confidence, but not show cockiness and yeah. believe that everything around you is stupid if they don't exactly follow exactly your vision. Yeah, <laughs> but that's part of it. That, that actually, you know, combines well with your sense of being a good building a good team, so that it's not only one person's vision, but it's a global group of intelligent people's vision yeah. uh, that is much more powerful. Uh, um, and so, getting back, getting more in depth on the green flight topic, so. What was the global initial vision? Because originally it was mostly Sean trying to do the, you know, gathering of content for organizations. Yes. What was your original mindset going into the business and what was your vision for it as you as you stepped into it? So the very, very first vision, you know, Sean's very first vision was a kind of Q&A video platform, really you focus on the fundamental insight that, you know, at that point people had already, you know, pretty decent cameras in their pockets and the ability to record things um, and create content. So his original idea was a Q and a video platform and building a network of people starting in sports. Uh, that was, that was uh, a network that people could effectively pay to access through a tech layer uh, to ask questions. So it was actually the marketplace initially. Yeah, it was actually pretty different. And what was interesting, so the evolution was we we started to do that and to build that. And we did a couple very early deals. Uh, one, which is like a very a kind of early pilot, we did um, a, a, a Notre Dame football game where we got uh, a bunch of uh, alums, professional football players who played at Notre Dame to create videos for the game. Uh, and we sold that to NBC, which is broadcasting the game. And then and then later we did our first kind of big project around March Madness, which is going on again right now. Um, but around March Madness, where uh, we uh, basically, CBS and Turner were broadcasting March Madness. And so what we did is we got a bunch of people who were super fans. Some of them were you know, professional basketball players who played at the colleges. Others were celebrities who were known kind of passionate fans. The, you know, Ashley Judd's a huge Kentucky fan and Tom Arnold's a huge Iowa fan. And so we got these people. We, so we basically what we did is we sold a vision to CBS and Turner saying, hey, uh, wouldn't it be great to get videos from all those kinds of people? And then we didn't have the people. <laughs> so we saw that vision and then we turned around and we ran out to people and say, Hey, do you want to be on CBS and Turner? And they said, okay. 
And they said, oh, but if you want to do that, you got to download Greenfly. So we, we put that whole thing together and we actually had a lot of success putting, building a really incredible network of people, um, you know, creating videos. But what was interesting is that, so we, you know, that, 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 happened and and it went very well and, then you, and that that sounds so entrepreneurial you sell something to the client and then you actually make sure that you can deliver against it that's it sounds like so much of the first contract that everybody signs out there yeah exactly and it worked out really well we got really incredible people i mean and 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 they and they used it on broadcast and they did they did a coca-cola sponsorship against it so it was like the keys of the game with christian leitner and they had christian leitner you know for the duke game talking about so that was really cool but we kind of caught our breath afterwards and we thought, oh, that was a lot of work pulling those people together. And now we use them, but we don't really have anything else for them to do on the platform. What does this mean? And at the same time, what was interesting is that uh, Maverick Carter was building Uninterrupted uh, with LeBron James. And they uh, were working with uh, Bleacher Report and Turner. And so they saw or came across our technology and they thought, oh, well, we could really use this technology with our network of athletes. And uh, and so they came to us and they said, hey, can we license your tech? We don't need your relationships. Like the last thing LeBron needs is for us to, you know, facilitate celebrity, <laughs> you know, professional athlete or celebrity relationships. But they said we really could use your tech. So that was really, you know, that was really like a decision point for us where we looked at that and said, OK, wait a minute. So we could either view these guys as competitive because they're building a network of athletes and we could try to build a better network, which just seems absurd. Uh, you know, when you're talking to, to LeBron James and his team, but, or we could like, they could pay us and we don't have to do any of that work. We just have to build a tech and they're going to put all the people on the platform and use it with them and, and be able to manage that community themselves. Um, and we realized pretty early that that was a much better business. So that was the first kind of key transition for us was moving from building a network of people to just doing the tech for people to manage networks they already had and then and then the second big change was you know as, as you alluded to earlier initially we were really focused on getting content from people so sending requests getting back videos but we realized once you built those connections you had somebody on an app you could interact with them in all sorts of rich ways and so it's it's really relevant not just to get content from them but to be able to deliver content to them and over time that's become um you know at least an equally important aspect of our platform, which is the distribution of content, not just the gathering of content. So, so yeah. So that came along the way. It wasn't a vision, a next step in the product originally. It's really something that was an opportunity that you saw. <clears throat> well, yeah. I mean, what we realized is that we'd built a network of, you know, we built a tool that enabled you to onboard and manage a network of people. And so once you have that, the, the your thinking shifts from, oh, I want to you know do Q and A, gather videos from people to, what do people want to do with this network? How do they want to interact with this network? What is useful and valuable to them? And so it, it was, yeah, it was pretty clear pretty quickly that, you know, communication and messaging was important, distribution of content was important, and then you know that's become richer and richer how how you can distribute content. But, um, but yeah, it, it sort of came organically with realizing, okay, now we've built a tool for managing a network of people. What are all the different kinds of interactions with those people that would add value to an organization? Yeah. And so I'm assuming your, what you originally liked about Greenflight isn't necessarily what you like now. And so what is the favorite thing that you see your tech enable with your partners? 
That's a good question. I mean, I, 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 I still love the magical moments of prompting and creating original pieces of compelling content. And we've started to do that in more and different ways with like fans and stuff like that. So that's awesome. But, you know, it's also just incredible to see the volume and scale of activity when it comes to distributing content, like seeing NBA players, MLB players, you know, to, to kind of focus on sports for a moment. Um, sharing thousands and thousands of pieces of content, going to the platform every single day, looking at what's there, you know, posting stuff to social, creating all these incredible moments across social, taking content from an organization and adding their own spin to it. Uh, it's just, it's thrilling to see that and thrilling to see that level of like engagement, excitement, activity. I also love how our platform's gone from being, you know, kind of more campaign driven around different events. Like with a Q&A, you'd, you'd use it for March Madness, but then, you know, you might use it again until the next March Madness. Right now, it's become like a daily habit for the people on it. Like they're in the platform every day. They're looking at the content that's there. They're sharing it. So I really love that transition as well. It's been really exciting to see. And just the engagement levels on our platform. You know, as I I mentioned, we've been around for almost seven years. In the past year, there was far more activity on our platform than in the previous, you know, five plus years combined. So it's it shows just an acceleration of activity. That's that's also just really thrilling to see. Yeah. And I, one thing I hadn't seen as extensively when we joined the project, I think the, the one that's incredibly powerful is also the content creation aspect now. Like, make, like, especially in this period where there's less and less people, allowing all those organizations to gather tons of pieces of content that are immersive, that are exactly what the young generations want, and actually be able to capitalize also with a very straightforward return on investment because that's actually content that they can sell as part of their digital portfolio. That's one thing I hadn't seen and that I feel is incredibly powerful. Is it something that you, how long ago did you see that vision for the product? Creating original content and being able to do exciting things with it. I mean, in in many ways, that's really where we started, (laughs) you know, and, and, and we've been able to scale that and, 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 and make it richer and open up new opportunities. But, you know, I, I mentioned um, like the uninterrupted early stuff that we did. For example, like one of the first videos that was created on our platform was LeBron James doing a tour of his shoe closet and talking about what the shoes meant to him. And and he did that on his own with his phone, uploaded it you know, in the middle of the night into Greenfly. Um, you know, it was, I think, the number one trending video on, on Bleacher Report for you know, weeks, you know, it was an incredible piece of content. So, so we saw that, uh, that, that pretty early, but it was very much focused around like these moments, events, like there's a lot of stuff going on. Now you just see that just constant flow of content coming in. Um, that's really exciting. And, and, you know, we've also added a lot to improve that experience, but also to open it up to, you know, that fan content collection, like the engaged platform that we launched in the past year and like you know seeing like the dodgers celebration video when they won the world series and knowing that that was created via greenfly and stuff like that was it's just really it's really cool and exciting to see that kind of stuff yeah and is it fair to say that you went with greenfly also to be close to the sports industry or was it secondary in your initial onboarding on greenfly so we started in sports so sean green um who's the co-founder you know with me who i mentioned who actually really started on his own and worked on it for about a year before i joined uh he is a uh, was a professional baseball player so probably has less uh name recognition in in europe and other places but um you know he was an all-star he has the record for most home runs by an la dodger in a season he was a really you know outstanding outstanding baseball player uh he uh so 
obviously has a sports background, relationships in sports, really started about thinking about this from a sports perspective. So we really did start with that mindset. But I think we realized, you know, we realized pretty early, but I don't think we really started to to move, you know, to expand the business as much, you know, really until a few years ago. But we realized that, you know, this kind of flow and activity and platform has every bit as much relevance, you know, when it comes to consumer brands managing, you know, their ambassadors uh, or media companies managing their talent uh, or a political campaign managing their supporters. Like, we, you know, we realized pretty quickly that the technology that we built had lots of applications. I still think sports, you know, sports is an incredible launch launch pad for, you know, a lot of reasons. There's so much passion around it. You have a built-in network of incredible advocates in, you know, with, with athletes and, and also you know, influential people who are following and supporting, um, you know, so it, I think it's a real, and you know, I said, you yeah, the real natural fandom uh, and engagement. And uh, so I think it's, it's, it's not like a random starting place for us as a business. It's a really, um, it's a really natural fit, but at the same time, we realized, I think, pretty pretty early, and and certainly lately, we've continued to really grow rapidly outside of that 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 this has every bit as much applicability outside of sports as it does within. And are you as excited about the growth inside of sports as outside? Is it like, are you more of a sports fan when it comes to your tech, or are you more of an entrepreneur fan? And seeing the growth just overall is as exciting outside as inside of sports. Yeah, I, I would say I'm, I'm more of an entrepreneur. I mean, I love sports and I love the sports industry. And certainly it's exciting. You know, we're, we're, we're hosting a panel later today that that's featuring, um, you know, the head, head of social for the San Jose Sharks NHL team and the Golden State Warriors, the NBA team. And I grew up in San Francisco. Those are my two childhood teams. Like, it's pretty awesome that yeah. you know, those teams are using it and the Giants are using it as well. Like, we've got, like... My, my three you know favorite teams from childhood are are all using well the, the sharks actually started when I was already um, you know a teenager but uh, you know they, they, they were an expansion team but yeah so I mean it, it's pretty cool and fun and exciting to see it used in that context like you know obviously that's that's a real thrill and and I do love sports but I definitely an entrepreneur first and o- over time I expect sports to continue to grow and it, it, I think it's a great fit but you know I think the opportunity, is, is even larger outside of sports than it is within sports. So, so ultimately I would imagine that, you know, that, that, that growth will, will outpace, but, but uh, yeah, so I'm definitely entrepreneur first, but uh, it's, it's a wonderful industry and uh, full of wonderful people doing awesome things. And it's really exciting to, to be a part of it. And so what is an exciting use case that you had outside of sports, just to give a bit of context of how it can be used creatively by completely different organizations? Well, for us, I think the most exciting thing that happened last year was we worked with the Biden campaign uh, on, on a massive level uh, in the United States um, and the Democratic uh, Party, the Democratic National Committee, um, which uh, that was really cool and really exciting. And again, you know, they used it the same way. They onboarded thousands of people who were influential ambassadors and you know people that were in a position to help tell their story. And they shared content with them and they prompted them to create content. They did all the cool things that the sports league would do, but it was in service of, you know, an ultimately winning presidential campaign. So that was really um, exciting to see that. Uh, and, you know, I think we also, uh, outside of sports, the second biggest part of business is around media companies as well. And it's also really cool to see, you know, for example, uh, you know, ESPN, 
you know, working with their talent, you know, when they're launching the last dance and they're getting that content out using, you know, their, their incredible talent network and stuff like that. It's really, it's really cool to see all those different kinds of applications. I know that sports adjacent, but it's, it's, you know, media as yeah. well. So, so that's, you know, kind of, it show, it show, you know, it's kind of cool that, uh, but I think that's actually interesting too. When you think about that, that's I think we end up growing media through those kinds of sports adjacent things. And then, you know, before we knew it, we were working with the real housewives and stuff like that, you know, as well, because the, the use case is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a funny thing from a European standpoint, like the broadcaster is the biggest sports organization from a European perspective. It's different where the league has more power in the U S yeah. but when, ESPN being a broadcast, I was like, well, to me, that is 100% sports industry versus uh, yeah. uh, media, uh, really. Yeah. Um, one last question on that outside of sports. Do you think like people outside of sports have a better appetite and understanding of digital and technology? Or do you feel like it's relatively similar to inside of sports? That's a really good question. I think that You know, I think there's 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 a mix in both. You know, some people in in sports are very digitally savvy, very forward thinking, uh, and and really driving things forward in really exciting ways. Um, and certainly outside of sports, when it comes to brands and things like that, you see that as well. And then you see people who are, you know, not as creative, not as digitally focused, are trying to hold on to old ways of doing things and and unwilling to shake it up. And I think you see that you know across across all industries. So it's hard for me to kind of, it's hard for me to generalize. Yeah. There there, there are good individuals in each industry and there are bad individuals, I guess, in each industry. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if it reason we're good. Early adopters adopters, and then there are, you know, people who are not early adopters. And, and I think that, um, I think the, the sports industry, what's interesting is that people will often, um, you know, often people within the sports industry will talk about how the sports industry sort of, you know, needs to move faster and is not kind of with it enough and stuff like that. And you hear that kind of rhetoric a lot. But I, I think in many ways it's the opposite. Sports industry things pushed a lot of things forward. I mean, it's, you know, the, you know, the, the foundational streaming technology, you know, in the U.S. was built by ML BAM, you know, in order to do MLB games. Now it's part of Disney and it's doing Disney Plus, you know. So, I mean, you know, often these things are. I, I think sports has really propelled a lot of technology forward in, in really exciting ways. Um, and, I, and I think in some ways, the way that you'll hear people in the industry, you know, kind of be hard on themselves about it, I think is one of the reasons. Like they always feel like they need to do better and need to move faster. And I think that's that's really healthy. Um, you know, obviously, it, it's difficult because so much of the revenue is still coming from traditional means. And so, you know, those are going to always kind of you know, prevail in yeah. people's thinking, but, yeah. but I think that's actually a very, very good example, right? Because ML BAM is now, you know, a technology that is used, that is Disney plus ultimately. Yeah. And that has hundred million subscribers in the world on their yeah. platform and achieving that technology techn- technologically is for anybody who worked in the OTT space is just incredible. And that right? was built by a professional sports league. Yeah. Actually, buy a league, you know, to, to in order to to um, advance its own interests and in, in being able to to stream games. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I think it's um, yeah, so I think it's you know there's there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of forward thinking, um, you know, but there there you know there's a lot of resistance as well. But I think that's just true everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and interesting. And so in general, like if you had to look um, in the upcoming years. 
where do you see the sports industry going as it, you know, in the overall direction in terms of content distribution rights? Where do you see a major shift happening in the coming years? Yeah, I think there are a lot of very foundational shifts going on and it's a very, you know, you can only pick one. I can only pick one. <laughs> I, 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 now, now, now I have to think through all the different. I, I mean, I, I do think there's. I, th- I think in the way people are are consuming and participating in sports, it's it's evolved from you know turning on the TV and sitting in, and down and watching you know uh, a basketball game or uh, you know a football match to uh, just you know touching sports in all sorts of different ways with a lot of short form content around social. You know, people are, you know, obviously the, 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 the betting stuff has become really big and exciting. The, um, uh, you know, just people are consuming sports and participating in sports, the fantasy stuff. People are participating in sports, consuming sports in so many different ways now. And I think it's going to yeah. continue to evolve and splinter. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people are not watching games, but watching lots and lots of parts of games in clips yeah. and highlights and, and moments and, and are following the athletes really, really well. But, not sitting down in the same way that they used to, to, to sit down and watch a whole broadcast doesn't mean the broadcasts don't have tremendous value and are still not sort of the anchor in the tentpole, but at the same time, there's so much in the ecosystem around it. And I think that creates a lot of opportunities to monetize. It also creates a lot of challenges, uh, you know, because it's, it, because it requires some, some creativity and some transition and, and, and sometimes reliance on, on third-party platforms and things like that. But I think we're going to continue to see, you know, the way people consume sports can need to splinter and evolve in, in new and creative and different ways. Yeah, that's a funny thing you're saying, because I was talking to a friend in the industry who was kind of romantic about the long, long length events and how that was what was building our industry, because that costs a lot of money. And I was like, but we're going to bite size and bite size at some point might actually be as valuable, more valuable or to as valuable as the live content because everybody's now consuming 10 highlights of games versus one match of a team they don't really follow otherwise whereas it wouldn't have been the case in the past so i i do think that that's a major major shift that's coming up um and obviously greenfly fits in pretty well with that change of mindset right i absolutely and i think that i mean your your point's a good one too like right now if you look at it from a revenue perspective there's just no comparison in terms of the contribution the broadcast you know, broadcast rights versus short form but i think you're you're seeing i mean even with the the, the craziness right now you know around top shot and stuff like that with the nfts yeah. i mean you're you're yeah. you're seeing there are real opportunities to monetize uh in, in around short form content or promotional content i mean certainly when we think about greenfly getting all this incredible content out into the ecosystem has tremendous value, for example, for the sponsors. Like if you're a Jersey sponsor, you know, you're not just relying upon the people that are going to see that Jersey while they're sitting down and watching the game. You're, you're getting, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of views interaction on, on social media with that same Jersey and the same logo. So, you know, I think really being able to, to demonstrate that value for sponsors and things like that is going to continue to create lots of opportunities. I think, you know, we, we see with NFTs are, and, 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 you know, and, and fantasy and, and things like that, there are lots of opportunities to monetize outside of the core broadcast rights. And so I know, yeah. you know, that viewership continues to splinter and stuff like that. It's still, there's still a tremendous value. Like nothing's the same as, as, as sitting down and watching an event. And it's not like that's going to go anywhere. It's still going to be a huge business and a huge revenue driver. But I think there's a lot of opportunity to grow outside of that in, in creative ways and certainly we're thrilled to be a part that. of that. Yeah. 
And I think once people will start nailing the digital monetization aspect of things, how they can capitalize more extensively on their digital assets, that will be a major shift, which will rebalance the, the difference of value between live and, uh, and highlights. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. And probably the last question, but the hardest question, where do you see Greenfly three years away from now? What, what would you like Greenfly to have impacted three years from now? It might be a bit easier. So I would, I mean, I think this, this period for us is really about growing. And I don't mean it's just like the numbers go up and the size goes up, but you know, growing into new verticals and seeing new applications, adoptions, use cases, certainly in sports, you know, I think we're getting to a, a kind of tipping point right now. We have an incredible core of customers, but uh, you know, I think we're going to be adding, and I know that we're going to be adding a, a lot more and just having a really expansive footprint across sports globally. I think that's really exciting. Uh, and, and um, I'm excited to see, you know, how that plays out over the next three years. But so I, yeah, I think for us, you know, I, we're, there's a lot of exciting things that we're doing with the product uh, and a lot of exciting things that we're doing with the platform and new places we're taking it. But I think the next three years are really about, you know, continuing to, provide a richer, more valuable experience for our customers and, and growing in, within our existing customers, growing across the, the, the verticals that we're already participating in and adding lots of new verticals and becoming, you know, we, we really think what we've built is sort of the next generation in marketing technology. You know, if you think about earlier forums, you have you know, more traditional advertising, you know, the more recent waves around your social media management tools and things like that for your own channels, we're really enabling our partners to really communicate and connect through the channels of their advocates. And we're being able, you know, doing that on an enterprise level. And so we think, you know, that, that that's something that has you know, tremendously broad application and we're excited to really, um, you know, to really connect with, you know, as I said, more verticals, more opportunities, you know, just a bigger network and, and have billions and millions, billions of more in, engagements on, on content that, that we made possible. Nice. I did. I never had that, but the marketing technology is is an interesting way of positioning it for the future. Um, Daniel, it was a blast exchanging on on all those topics and taking a bit of distance compared to the day to day. Yeah, uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I enjoyed it very much. It's great. It's uh, it's always great to to see you, Samuel. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for for having me. Thanks. Thanks a lot for joining us, uh, Daniel. Um, as usual, guys, hope you liked this episode. You can find it on all the different platforms you usually find our podcasts on. Uh, hope you liked it as much as we did and uh, happy to see you soon for another episode. Le Corner.